Rivka Bat Natan Halevi, Mimimorati. So we're in Parshat Kitisa, and uh, we've spoken about chronology already, so I'm not going to speak about chronology at all. I'm going to speak about a phrase that, surprisingly enough, for me, when I was preparing Shir, I've um, never spoken about before. And this is the phrase, Am Kashei Orif, a stiff-necked people. Now, there are more Pesukim that use this phrase than I have listed here. But these are the ones that are really pertinent, and you'll notice that they're not in chronological order. So the first time is when God says to Moshe, Ra'iti et ha'am hazeh, I have seen this people, v'hinei am kashay orifu, and they are a stiff-necked people. We see also in Devarim Tet, when Moshe recalls, he says, I've seen this nation, and they are a stiff-necked people. In this week's Pasha, a few prakim after the first statement, and we're going to come back to this in detail in a while, if we have favor, if we have found favor in your eyes, please walk amongst us because we are a stiff-necked people, and we have it also in Melachim Bed Perik Yud Zayin, when the Pesukim are describing the exiling of the ten tribes, and they are described also of people who stiffened their necks. This is a phrase that is not new to you. It's a phrase that you've heard on many occasions. The question is, what does it mean? But there's a second question here as well, which we will come to a bit further on on the next page. So number one, we have a Midrash. We have a Midrash in Shemot Rabbah. And the Midrash says, Vayom HaShem El Moshe. God says to Moshe, Ra'iti et ha'amazeh v'nei amkeshei orefu. Ma'hu v'hinei amkeshei orefu. What does it mean? that we are a stiff-necked people. And there are a number of opinions here. They are worthy of being uh, having their necks broken, really. Which is a strange interpretation of the Pasuk, because the Pasuk doesn't seem to be saying what we are worthy of. But that's what Rabbi Yehuda says. He says there are, there are three, and I, I don't know how to translate the word precisely, there are three chatsufin. Um, there, there, there are three cheeky, rude, arrogant maybe. There's chatsuf b'chaya, the, the arrogant uh, animal is the dog. Ba'of, in, 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 in birds, it is the chicken. Uv'umot, and in the nations, it is Israel. I think arrogance is the right word, but we'll leave it at chutzpah. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak baradifa b'shem Rabbi Ami. Rabbi Yitzchak says in the name of Rabbi Ami, you're using this phrase of Am Oref as a negative phrase. But I don't think so. I think this is in praise of Am Yisrael, 
Or Yehudi or Tzaluf. What does that phrase mean? Literally it means, or I'm Jewish or I'm crucified. Uh, we'll see exactly what he means there and, and how that can be interpreted to mean something positive. Amarebi Abinadachshav Korot Yisrael B'chutzlaitz Ha'umashem Peshei Oref. In Chutzlaitz we are known as a stiff-necked people. Amarav Nachman Teida Lechashehem Kashim. You should know that they're very tough people, the Jews. Kashabak Kadushbarchul Itelem Et HaTorah. When God came to give them the Torah, Makatif Bahim, Vahi Biyom Ashlishi Biyot Abokhi, Vikolot Uvrakim Vanan Kaveid Alaha Vakol Shofa Chazak Meod, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Arelehem Kom Yisrael Velevai Yehenei, Vinei Ankashei Orefu, that despite all the pomp and circumstance, all of the uh, presentation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave on Yisrael, Chet Aiga, Ankashei Orefu. So the Midrash is offering us a number of different uh, interpretations of how to describe Am Oref, but none of the opinions in the Midrash are giving us a literal understanding of what a stiff-necked people is. The Ibn Ezra writes as follows, Tam Oref, the meaning of a stiff neck is as follows, Shelo Yishma Mashed Siva, he refuses to listen to what he has been commanded to do. Mashal Adam, and what's the mashal? This can be compared to a person who is walking very, very quickly in a certain direction, and he won't turn his neck to respond to the person calling. Meaning, he is adamant, insisting that he go in the direction he's going, and even if someone is calling, he won't turn around to see who is calling. He is a stiff-necked person. Now, this is elaborated quite beautifully by the Abarbanel. Okay, the Abarbanel, first he gives a number of other interpretations. Amkashe, or if he, yesh mefarshim levavad. Some people say that they will not change their minds. Even if you smack them on the head, even if you punish them, they will insist on going in their wayward ways. Because they won't feel. I presume what he means here is the nerves in your head. Normally you will feel pain in your head, but because you have a stiff neck, you can't feel the nerves, and therefore you don't feel anyone's rebuke, you don't feel anyone's comeback at you. We just read the Ibn Ezra. But this is what I think, says the Abba that Am Yisrael are very animalistic, who are drawn to their desire, and they refuse to see the obvious. They refuse to see what is blatantly clear to everybody else. Because naturally, God created the world he gave an animal eyes in his head. Why will we put eyes in our heads? So that we could see an approaching danger. We would be aware of danger that is coming towards us. And our eyes will warn us 
to go near to what will help us and to run away from danger. But what's the problem? We only have eyes in the front of our head. So who's going to watch my back? Who's going to look after me from behind? Because I don't have eyes in the back of my head. So the body was built in such a way that our neck is flexible, which enables me to turn my head round and look behind me and use the eyes in the front of my head to see what's going on behind me. That's why I have the nodules at the back, I have the discs in my neck, which don't work by me so well, but by most people they, they work, mine slip a lot. Um, but, but, uh, but that's why we have them, it enables us to move our heads and therefore use our eyes to see what's behind us by looking around. That's what the Abarbanel says. It enables me to, to take the eyes that are in the front and place them in the back of my head so I can see, I can protect myself from behind. And thus, the way we were built, our body is protected from every direction. Omnam, however, and you know this if you've ever had a stiff neck, someone who has a stiff neck, he cannot turn around. You've seen people, right, when your neck goes and you're walking around like this all the time? So you can't turn around, you can't turn your neck around and see. So you can't see danger coming. That's what a stiff-necked people is, says the Abarbanel, that our necks are so stiff we're not paying attention to what is happening around us. There is nothing more stupid than that, than a human being not being aware and reacting logically, intellectually to a danger that is in front of his face and behind him and ignoring it in the hope that it will go away. I'm not going to speak about Corona, but I've said enough. <laughs> or you, you read this Abarbanel and you see the way people were behaving yesterday on Purim and you understand the Abarbanel must have been in the square. I mean, it, it, people are just dumb. They're just stupid and now they're going to be sick. They can't see further than the hour ahead of them. I said I wasn't going to be speaking about it. Because <laughs> you like a behemoth. Because all the animal sees it, I can't, I can't move. all the animal sees it, it's what's in front of him. He can't see what's on, on the back of him, he can't, he can't anticipate what's on the back, because he can't move his neck. So God says to Moshe, there's no point rebuking the people. There's no point punishing the people. So leave me alone. That's what God says to Moshe. Because they're so stubborn, they're so arrogant, they're not going to listen to a word I say. Because I'm not going to 
They are a lost cause. They are Am Oref. Their eyes do not exist. They do not see. And so there's no point rebuking them because they are blind to common sense and to reality. There is one particular problem here. If it doesn't trouble you too much, go back to the first page. Right? God says to Moshe, I've seen these people, and they're a stubborn people. I've had enough of them. Go down to the third pasuk. I never ever noticed this. Moshe says to God, If I have found grace in your eyes, please come back to us, because we are a stubborn people. You understand the problem here? God says he wants to destroy us because we're a stubborn people. And Moshe says, forgive them because they're a stubborn people. It's not generally the way we would argue our case. If God says, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy you because you're bad, please don't destroy me because I'm bad. It's not a winning, clinching argument to take the, the reason why God wants to destroy us and come back to him and say, isn't it interesting? And you nod excitingly. Yes, that's very interesting. So have a look at what Rabbi Sachs suggested. Sipur Egel Azahav Dramati It's a very dramatical event, the, pit, the story of Egel Azahav. Forty days after they had seen the greatest revelation ever. Asulahem Benesel Elil. Whatever they did, but they did make themselves some kind of god, Egel Zahab, a golden calf. Ha'el, Iyem Laharogel Kulam, and God was about to destroy everyone. Umoshem Mimesh, Bimloel, Mashmut Hashem, Yisrael, Ki Sarita, Imen, Okim, Im Anashim. And Moshe sparred with Akadosh Baruchu to save our Yisrael. That's what he did, right? He put his life on the line. Mecheni Nami Sifrecha, wipe me out from your book. To save the people. And he begged God to show mercy to the people. When Moshe came down, I've given Shir on this before as well, he smashed the tablets. We always assume he was allowed to do that. Who said he was allowed to do that? Smash God's work in front of the people. That's a different subject. Simarash and Abrita, what it looked like, Moshe was, was ripping up the covenant with God. He ground the Egel into dust, diluted it with water, and he gave it to the children of Israel to drink. He told the Levim to purge the people of the leaders who were causing the sin. He went back up to the mountain. To try and reconcile between God and Am Yisrael. God forgave Moshe told him to make two new tablets. 
Then Moshe says something very strange. Second paragraph. Moshe bows down. If I have, if I found favor in your eyes, God, please let God be be amongst us. Why? Because we are a stubborn people. So why is this so peculiar? Because Moshe's point, why should you save us, is the exact reason why God wants to destroy us. So why is that a good argument? What does Moshe mean? God says, let me destroy them because they are an Ampeshe or F. And Moshe says, please come amongst us because we are an Amkashe Orif. You understand the question? Yeah. Yes. Tiring now. Rest up now after that. So then, God says to Moshe, When God speaks to Moshe, when Moshe re re Answers God back. Both use Amkasheorif. God wants to destroy us because we are Amkasheorif. Moshe says, save them because they're Amkasheorif. Why would Moshe say, save the people because they're arrogant? Why would you say that? So before he gives his own answer, he wants to suggest maybe the key, we have to, the word key, the key to the key, the word kaf yud, it should be interpreted in a slightly different way. Rashi, for example, says that key is im, meaning please forgive the people, key meaning im, if they are a stiff-necked people, please forgive them. Key should be understood as im, as a word if. If they are a stiff-necked people, please forgive them. Im, huam kashayorev, hasalachlo. Ibn Ezra understood the word key to be afalpi, even though. Even though they're, they're, they are a, an arrogant people, please forgive them. And both interpretations, therefore, automatically answer the problem in the text. I, Moshe is not arguing in favor of us because we are arrogant and that's why God should save us. He should save us even though we're arrogant or please understand, we're arrogant but still forgive us. Okay. But this, these answers are, are only correct if you reinterpret the word key to mean im or afalpi. But generally, key doesn't mean im or afalpi. It means key. It means because. And then we go back to our original question. Why should God save us because we're a stiff-necked people? I want to suggest the following, says Rabbi Sachs. 
שעובר אורך הדורות, but goes for many generations. And במאה העשרים, and in the 20th century, נתן לו ביטוי הרב יצחק ניסנבאום. רב יצחק ניסנבאום was in the Warsaw Ghetto. And uh, he wrote as follows, top of page three. מידת עקשנות של קשיות עורף יש בצד מגונה. The arrogance of being a stiff-necked people certainly has a negative facet to it. אבל הצד החיובי שבה, but what is the positive aspect? הצד הטוב עולה הרבה על הצד הרע. The positive side is much greater than the negative side. הפסוק הזה מלמדנו שגם הקדוש ברוך הוא ומשה השתמשו באותה טענה. Moshe is arguing the same reason. God, do you think there are stiff-necked people and that's why they sinned? You have to understand, Moshe is saying to HaKosh Baruch, the stiff-necked element of Amisel is one of the greatest elements that they have. Hashem Yibarach Hamad ki lo aleh bekirubcha kiyam kashiorifu ve'azeh heshimola adarabha On the contrary! On the contrary! Ye'elechna Adonai bekirbeinu ki am kashiorifu What does he mean? מידת העקשנות, the stubbornness of the Jewish people, מעגלה גדולה לישראל, this is a massive facet of the Jewish people. Even though they made the Egel, מוכן הוא בעת הצורך למסור, this same people will be most nefesh in the most stubborn way you can imagine. There is a shul in Krakow. It's called the Temple, because it was a, it was a conservative shul before the war, and everything inside it is gold-plated or gold. And we always visit that shul as well, because it's still standing, it's been kept well, we have a few things we do there. But we also tell a story as we come out of the steps. It's right on the corner there, at the edge of the old city of Krakow. There was a man in 1939 who was known in the Orthodox community to be a Moired Bamalku. He was not just not religious, he was anti-religious. He was a thorn in the side of the rabbis. He caused a lot of controversy. In 1939, October 1939, he's walking past the temple shul. A Nazi soldier stops him. He says, Jew, he says, go into the synagogue and get out a scroll. He's got a gun on him. So he goes into the shul and he brings out a scroll. The Nazi says to him, you put it on the floor and you unroll it and you urinate on that scroll or I shoot you on the spot. Wasn't a chassid. Wasn't an orthodox member of the community. It was a mechalel shabbat hesim. The man picked up the Sefer Torah and danced with the Sefer Torah until the last bullet killed him. Am That's Am There was a man in the ghetto who on Hanukkah lit candles and a Nazi soldier saw it as he was patrolling and he burst into the man's house, schlepped the man into the street, filled a barrel with petrol, put the man inside it and lit him. And do you know what the man did while he was burning? He sang Maosu. As Amkashe Orif. He sang Maosu. As Amkashe Orif. 
במילים אחרות, התכונה הגרועה ביותר של עם ישראל, in other words, the worst facet of עם ישראל, אומר משה, עתידה להיות סגולתם ההרואית. This is going to be saving our people. ריבונו של עולם, ladies, you have spent so much time in the old city, more time since the year of 2002, where there was so much terrorism they couldn't leave the robber because of security. Probably a bit more time. You have spent so much time here that you might have forgotten that we haven't been here for two and a half thousand years. And that we came here after a holocaust. And that we conquered Jerusalem in five days. Because we are Am Oref. Because a Jew doesn't say die. They just don't say die. They just don't give up. Who was the president after Roosevelt? It was Lyndon Johnson, right? No, it wasn't Lyndon Johnson. It was Truman. It was Truman. Do you know the story of President Truman and his uh, Jewish partner from Kansas City? Chaim Weizmann, the to-be president of Israel, was trying to get a meeting with President Truman. The State Department in the United States would not recognize Israel, ostensibly because we were going to be massacred and they didn't want to encourage a massacre. There are also quite a number of anti-Semites in the State Department, still today, the same people who stopped the American Air Force bombing Auschwitz. And they were convincing Truman not to support the State of Israel. He had a Jewish partner from Kansas City. The Jewish agency contacted this partner, I forget his name, but it's a true story. And they said, we need you to go and see Chaim Weizmann. He said, I've never ever asked anything from him since he went into politics. Please don't use me. And they said, they said, Chaim Weizmann said to him, we need you to, I need to see Truman. I need you to get me to see Truman. You're the only way in. So this man made his way to Washington. He connected up with President Truman. President Truman liked him very much. He said, I'm happy to see you. We'll have coffee and cake. I'm telling you one thing. Do not mention the name Weizmann to me. Do not mention the name. I don't want to hear it. It's okay. So they sit there, they have their coffee, their cake, they chat about the old times in Kansas City. Maybe they spoke about Dorothy and the Tin Man and, and everything that happens in Kansas City. And um, just before this man is about to leave, he turns to the president and he says, I can't. And the president says, what can't you? He said, I, I can't, I have, to, I have to say Weizmann. I have to make you, you must see Weizmann. We're, we're in a terrible way, you must see Weizmann. And the president got very angry. He said, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to say this and kind of, damn you, I'm going to do it. Just because you asked me. And he met Weizmann. And he changed the policy. And America is one of the only times in the entire period of the Cold War where America and Russia voted the same way in the United Nations. Incredible. It's a great story. It's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about, except for the fact <laughs> that the State Department's policy was we're going to be massacred, because on paper they were right. On paper they were right. But 
they didn't take into account that they will fight in their trucks, they will fight with pitchforks. Now, they're showing the bad side of being stiff necked. But there will be a day where they, they will refuse to be disloyal to you because they are so stiff necked. People will say, assimilate. Or like they did in the Middle Ages, be a Christian and it will be okay. But they will refuse. They did refuse. They went to the stake on it. Jew after Jew was killed because he refused to adopt Christianity. There will be religions that insist that they convert. But they won't. They won't convert. The Kreisenberger Rebbe was in Auschwitz-Birkenau. The Kreisenberger Rebbe lost nine children and a wife. Nine children and a wife. He turned to God in Auschwitz-Birkenau and said, if I survive, I will build a hospital in Israel. That is the Laniado Hospital in Netanya, where the Sands Hasidim live around that hospital. The Rebbe Misans, the Kloisenberger Rebbe, refused to eat bread on Pesach in Auschwitz-Birkenau. He refused to eat food on Yom Kippur in Auschwitz-Birkenau. And when his Talmudim said to him, that's not the halacha, the halacha is pikuach nefesh, the Rebbe said, I can't live without keeping Judaism. That's a stiff-necked people. But what a facet that is. Who has heroes like that? Who has heroes like that? I want to tell you something that I saw in a... It's a very good Haggadah. It's called Shirat David. I know the author. Not so well. It's a bit strange, but... There is a, a piece that, towards the end of the Haggadah where we open the door and we invite Eliyahu Anavi into the house. You remember that piece, right? And then your dad kicks the table and the wine shakes and falls and they say, see, Eliyahu is here. And you say, no, dad, you kick the table. He says, well, I didn't. You remember that piece, right? I'm sure your fathers don't kick the table. I don't need to because Eliyahu comes to me. <laughs> So he likes my master, so Eliyahu comes. So we open the door, comes in. I ask the following question. Who's learned Nevi'im Rishonim? What a nice clap that was, a good wholesome clap. You, know, you cut your hands and you go like that. Siggy, have you read Malachim Aleph Peret Yudzai Yudchet Yudtet? Probably at some point. At some point, a good diplomatic answer. <laughs> Becky, what about you? You're all mumbling, oh my God, he's involving us. We're not doing this. <laughs> Involvement over. You've heard of Eliyahu on Harakarmel, right? Eliyahu goes to Harakarmel and he does this incredible miracle and the people scream out, 
Hashem Hu Elohim, Hashem Hu Elohim. God is King, God is Lord, God is Lord, right? And then a little while after that, the people go back to Avodah Zarah. Eliyahu goes to Har Sinai. And Eliyahu tells God, your people are a waste of time. I won't go through the whole period. Now I'll do it in eternity, please, God. Your people are a waste of time. Forget them. That's not his job. He's a prophet. He's meant to defend our Mitzvah. He says, Kanokaniti. I, I, I can't. I've, I've been zealous for God. They're, they're a lost cause. And do you know what God does after a certain episode there? God fires Eliyahu and replaces him with Elisha. And what happens to Eliyahu? He goes up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And our tradition is that that very same Eliyahu goes to every Brit Milah and comes to every single Sedanite. And have you never asked yourself the question, why? Of all the people, bring me David Amelech, he sang me nice songs, bring me Shlomo Hibunia, Eliyahu? Why Eliyahu? He totally distanced in front of God. He told him to get rid of us. The opposite of Moshe Rabbeinu in this week's parsha. And that's kind of King I've got no time for these people. They saw the greatest miracles and they still didn't listen. Forget the past. What the Navi says, God says, get out of here, Elisha. So why do I want Eliyahu at the bris of my son? It's not like I'm bribed, but why? Why would I, why would I invite Eliyahu? He's, he's not the greatest defender of Am Yisrael. So what I suggested in my Haggadah was as follows. Eliyahu gets to Shammayim and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, you're going back down. You don't believe in my people? You're going to every Brit Milah that this people does for the next 3,000 years. You're going to go to a Brit Milah in the Warsaw Ghetto. You're going to Brit Milah in Auschwitz-Birkenau. You're going to Brit Milah in, in, in Theresienstadt. You're going to Brit Milah in the Spanish Inquisition. You see my people. Don't tell me my people are nothing. You're going to go to every Brit Milah. You're going to see what this Jewish people is going to do for the next 3,000 years. And more than that, you're going to every Seder as well. And you're going to see this Jewish people, how they sing Abadim Hayinu Vyotzienu in Auschwitz-Birkenau. And you'll see how they sing Seder night the night before the Warsaw Ghetto Revolt. And then come back to me and tell me this people is a waste of time. Scoop shot. Scoop shot. When Eliel comes into our house, he is humbled and totally overwhelmed. Because it's been a long time since he had Siat Mitzrayim and there are still Jews sitting around the table. And you know what he saw this year, Eliyahu? He saw people doing Seder night with their own families or grandparents sitting on their own and doing Seder night, but they still did Seder night. And people still cushioned their cave And people still made Pesach, even though they were in isolation, and even though no one knew what Corona was. And he came to every Seder night and he saw the authorities didn't see and he wore a mask over Tamar, over his nose. Shekhar. Over his nose. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's a good word. No, that's... I'm Kashayorov. 
You're right, they're a pain in the neck. They are a pain, they're a pain in the neck, that's what they are. But this pain in the neck is going to keep us alive. Um, you're going to see it, Eliyahu. You're going to go. You're, you know what kind of Britain Milah he's been to, this man? This, this Navi, you know where, where he's seen, where he's been? He's been in the most terrible, terrible situations. You've got to read the Pietzesna Rebbe, the, the description of how the Pietzesna Rebbe went looking for a mikveh in the Warsaw Ghetto, Erev Yom Kippur, in 1941. At four o'clock, and they, they went through the alleyways to, to open up a mikveh that had been closed for two years. And when he got there, it was packed with Jews. Filthy, dirty mikveh, freezing cold water. I'm you're right, they, they, they drive you crazy. But it's Ankashayorif. Ha'uvdashir Abnissabam Chaivah made the ghetto, the fact that Abnissabam wrote this, he lived and died in the ghetto. He died in the ghetto at Abnissabam. Mashrela Drav Tokif Norahod, it's mind blowing. And that's what Rav Yakim said in the Midrash before. Shloshacha Sufimhe. When he says, he says, he says, Am Israel. It's, that it's not lignai, it's l'shevach. Why? Because they say, be a Jew or crucify. We say, no, you're crucified. I'm not, I'm not going to give up my Judaism. You're going to have to kill me. You have to kill me. I'm not giving up my Judaism. Do the hell. Do, do your best. Do your worst. Whatever. I'm, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to give up my... Uh, I'm not going to die spiritually. I'm, I'm going to give up my life for my Judaism. Hayudim hen kosheorov. The Jewish people are, are a stiff-necked people. Omer rabbi ami bekach shehem nechonim limsoit nafsham al emunatam. They said, prepared to give up their lives for their belief. We thought, that's why we're here. We're still here. It's just unbelievable. We're just still here. People have come, people have gone, and the Jewish people are still here. It, it's just, it really is unbelievable. It, it, it's, you've got to stop and think something. Have some pride in your, where you're coming from. Instead of like uh, imitating the, these, these chevra with their drakes and shmakes, right, to mind, instead, instead of... Imitate some Jews, imitate some Gadolim, imitate some heroes. They should be on your walls. Not Justin Jordan or Michael Jordan or something. They should be on their walls. Rashi, who taught when he taught in the Crusades. These should be on our walls. We've got an incredible ancestry of, of, of Messiah Nefesh. And the Ravad says in the 14th century, The truth of the matter is, we don't readily accept our religion. But once we do, He will never give up on it. He'll never give up on it. You saw, you saw the, the picture at the beginning of the, the beginning of the winter. I saw this picture of twenty Jews in Toronto dubbing Minchin a blizzard. They're dubbing Minchin a blizzard. They're just standing out there, in a blizzard. And that's just one example. We know there are tens of examples, like hundreds of examples like that. Dugmali ikshut Flavius. So you know Josephus, he recorded the times of Chorban. And he wrote the following, there's a report here that Rabbi Sachs brings. So he explains, he describes the following scenario. Roma Caligula, you've heard of Caligula, right? Caligula was a, a Roman Caesar 
רצה להציב פסל בדמותו סמוך למקדוש בירושלים. He had this idea that he wanted to uh, establish a, an, a, a, an idol with his image right next to the Beit Mikdash. ושלח את המצפי פטרוניוס לבצע את המשימה. And he sent one of his generals, Patronius, to set up this idol, just here, just up the road. ואם ידרש, and if necessary, כך מתי יוסיפוס את המפגש בין הפטרוניוס היהודי ארץ ישראל. Then, Josephus then describes the meeting between, get his name right, Patronius and the Jews. וריבועות הרבה של יהודים באו אל פטרוניוס, so thousands of Jews came to meet up with Petronius, לפטולמיוס, אקו, they went to אקו, when he arrived, he arrived at the shores of אקו, להתחנן לפניו שלא יכריח אותם לדבר חטא, to pray to him that he doesn't come and do this, don't, don't put an idol outside our holiest place. ואם גמרת, אומר להביא להקים את הפסל, להוצא לפועל את מעשיך לאחר שתהרוג אותנו לתהילה. And if you are adamant to do this, you're going to have to kill us first. That's what they said to Patronius. שכן אין לנו יכולים לחיות ולראות במעשים העשויים עלינו מכוח מחוקקינו ואבות אבותינו. We cannot even imagine the notion that there will be an idol by Harabayit. ושוב יעשו רבות הרבה לקראת פטרוניוס שבא לטיבריאס. So Patronius heard them, and he marches on to Tiberius. He's making his way south. והתחננו לפניו שלא יביא אותם בשום פנים לידי הכרח כזה. And again, they, Jews approached him, a delegation of Jews approached him, and said, please don't do this. ולא יכלה את העיר על ידי הקמת פסל, and don't desecrate our city, Jerusalem, by putting up an image. אמר פטרוניוס, כלום תלחמו בקיסר, what, you're going to fight the Caesar? Well, the Jews are going to fight Rome. Are you not aware how strong Caesar in Rome is and what he's going to do to you if you rebel against him putting up his image outside the Mikdash? No, we're never going to fight your Caesar. <coughs> but we will die before we let this happen. You'll have to kill us before you do this. That's what happened in Tiberias. This is what Josephus says. They lay on their faces, and they exposed their necks, and they said, kill us. You have to kill us before doing this. And they did the same thing for 40 days. They stopped going to work in their fields, and it was harvest time. They were determined that if he was going to put up an image, they would die first. Patronius is watching this. He comes out of his hotel every day. He couldn't believe this dedication. That he actually sent a memo to Caligula. That he shouldn't bring so many people to despair just because of an image. He should know that they, they won't give up without fighting for their beliefs. And then you're going to lose all of their taxes. So that's what Petronius writes back to Caligula. You're just going to lose so much money. These Jews are going to commit suicide or they're going to go to war with us and be killed. And then you're going to lose a lot of money. 
וסימן קללה ידבק בבלה אמורה that you have a curse on your name forever because you killed so many Jews for for some image by the Mikdash. That's what he wrote. That's what Petronius wrote to Caligula. Mikrazel lo yachid b'mino. It's not the only case. Sifrut chazal v'sifrutenu mimei habenam gedushot sipurim shel kiddush Hashem. We have so many stories of kiddush Hashem. As you read this, you understand that this has to be what Moshe means, right? That God says to you, I'm going to destroy them because they're Amkashi Orach. What are you talking about? Amkashi Orach? That's the great... You know what these people are going to do because they're Amkashi Orach? You know what, what a positive facet that is to hold by your guns, to be determined to do something, to get up and, and daven even though you're nauseous or you're tired, to, 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 to make sure that you get to a minion even though it's raining outside and there's no minion inside, you, to do Haggadah of your kelim even though there's no communal Haggadah. Uh, you, you know what this stubborn and discipline is in a person? For a person to insist, no, no, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. Do your worst. I'm doing my best. This historian writes as follows, I heard from the elders who came out of Spain, there was a ship that, that was infested with plague. And the captain of the ship didn't want anything to happen to his crew, so he offloaded everyone who was on the ship into some desert. Where there was no one living. Almost all of the prisoners, all of these Jews died. But some started walking, and there was a Jew there. This Jew, his wife and his two sons started walking. The woman died very quickly. And the father and the two sons carried on walking and they all collapsed. And when the father woke up, he found both his sons were dead. And, and then he was registered as saying the following. Ribon Haolamin, Master of the Universe, you are trying so hard for me to give up my religion. Teda, but you have to know that whether you like it or not, Yehudi Ani, I am a Jew, the Yehudi and I will remain a Jew. You can't do anything that will change my mind. The Bavura of the Jewish people. Tell you another story from the ghetto of Tarnov. A woman is walking holding her two children's hands. A Nazi jeep stops by them, picks up the two boys and drives off. She's left there standing without her two sons. She's lost her two sons. The woman goes running after the jeep. The jeep stops at some junction. She starts smacking on the door of the jeep. The Nazi captain is sitting there. And the Nazi captain rolls down and says, What do you want, lady? He says, I want my children. Give me my children. What does a Nazi do? He gets out of the jeep, goes to the back, opens the doors and says, Choose one. Choose one. What do you do? She chose one. Heroics, Gavura. 
the evil that, that our people has faced and still stands. Emunah zo emunah keshed oref moreret banu yirat kavon. Where did you see it in the Megillah, ladies? The Mordechai, who read Mordechai, Lo Yichra Velo. No one read? Lo Yichra Velo. Velo Yishtachave. Lo Yichra Velo Yishtachave. I will not bow. I will not bow. Am Kashay Oref. So Akolish Barakhu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, had enough of these people that are on Kashay Oref, he said, nah, Pumflaken, Pumflaken, the other way around. The other way around. These people is going to shine. Haven't we shone? That's where these people are. That woman is where she's with her two children and Shammai. And that's where she is today with those two children. That Kashiud Orif, that Gavura, to, to remain a human being amongst debased animals. The creators of Beethoven. Animals. To remain human in there. To do human actions. I'm sorry, you're wrong, you're wrong. This is going to hold them together. This is, this is why they're going to be alive in 3,000 years, the Jewish people, because they are More than that, 3,000 years later, they're still wearing tefillin. They've still got mezuzahs, they're still shechting animals. Sorry, veggies. And uh, they're still dabbing three times a day. They're still celebrating all the chagim. Why? Ki Amkashe Orif. Ki Amkashe Orif. I want to share with you one final piece, which is a very different interpretation. I came across this Gomorrah, not through the Gomorrah. But the Piyasesna Rebbe quotes this Gomorrah in November 1940. In November 1940. And November 1940 was a very significant time in the ghetto because the ghetto started in November 1940. For the first year of occupation, Jews were restricted. In September and October, they were ordered to move into the ghetto. In November 1940, they closed the ghetto. Jews weren't allowed to live, leave. And on that parsha, the Piyasesna quoted this Gemara. He goes in a certain direction, which I'm not going to go. Listen to this Gemara in Sanhedrin. Because it's a totally different interpretation of Amkashe Orif. The Gemara says as follows: Tanu Rabbanan, we learn from our rabbis. Maaseh b'shnei b'nei Adam shenishbu b'harakarmel. The two Jews who were taken prisoner in Harakarmel in the north of Israel. Vayash Shabbai mahanecha chareim, and their captor was walking behind them. Amalo echad mehem lechaveru. One of the Jews says to the Jew next to him. The camel that's walking in front of us is blind in one eye. I'll tell you more than that. It is carrying two jugs. One is wine and one is oil. And the two people who are leading the camel, one is a Jew, one is a Goy. The captor overheard this conversation. He says to them, listen to the words, Amkashe Orif. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know all those things you just said from standing where you're standing? Amrulo. So they said to him, 
גמר מעשרים שלפניה מצד שראה אוכלת, מצד שאינו אוכלת. How do I know that the camel is blind in one eye? Because it's only eating on one side of the road. It's not seeing what's on the other side of the road. ותאונה שתי נודות אחד של יין ואחד של שמן, and how do I know that one of the jugs is wine and one of the jugs is oil? של יין מטפטף ושוקר, because the wine is sinking into the ground, ושל שמן מטפטף וסף, and the oil isn't. And how do I know that the two people in front of the camel, one is a Jew and one is a Goy? נוכרי נפנינה דרך וסר נפנינה סטטיה, because when they have to relieve themselves, a Jew does it in a respectful way and the Goy does it in a disrespectful way. The cat tour was just absolutely astounded. So he ran forward to see whether what they said was true. Umatzakat Ibrahim said every single thing they said was true. It was blind in one eye, it was oil and... And wine, and one of the one of the people leading the camel was a Jew. One was a goy. Vavin Ashkara Roshan. He came and kissed them on their heads. Veheviyan leveitam vaselim suda gedolah. He made them a big suda, and he danced before them, saying, Baruch shebachav zarosh el Abraham. Menatelahim achokmato. You are such a wise people. What interests us here is what is his comment, Am kashay orev, in the context of what they said. It's not arrogance, right? It's not. They're just suggesting that the camel is blind and that it's this direction or that. What does Amkashe Orif mean? So have a look at this parish at the bottom. Kashut Orif Kambak Marahir. Kashut Orif means as follows. It's Chochmot Chaim. It's a wisdom that comes through experience. Kashut Orif, and, and I, I don't know how to prove this from the words, but it's interesting. There are two different types of wisdom that one can attain in life. One is from academic research, learning texts, and the other is from experiencing. This is the ongoing argument you have with your parents when you keep telling them they don't understand, and they understand so much more than you, because you've never paid a bill in your life, and, and they pay bills all the time. You've never run a house. They run houses. They, they have the experience of life. And in this particular Gemara, the Mechel Mayim says that Kashit Orif is been through so much experience so much and the wisdom that comes through that experience enables you to survive more. It enables you to, to confront each time you experience something. When you confront something with an experience, you are so much wiser and so much more credible in your in your adapting yourself to that problem. So it's a different interpretation of Amkashik Orif. So right at the very beginning when we are when our, our dedication is being questioned Moshe is saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, listen, they're going to go through so many things as people, but one thing is true, once these people take on Torah Mitzvahs, they will do it. People have stopped Afyomi, and seven and a half years later they will finish us. Am Kashiyorev. That is a Tukhuna that we have to, if we haven't got it, we have to get it. Discipline, the ability to, to discipline ourselves and to see things through. To, to get closure, to do something from the beginning to the end. To, you know, years and years ago, when I um, left college, I, I left university because I didn't enjoy accounting, I found an alternative. Sleeping pills were much better. And so uh, I, I, wanted to, I didn't want to do accounting. My dad was like, I didn't want to do it. And I, I got up and walked out of college after about eight months. And uh, before I left, I have no reason understanding why I did this. Not understanding at all why I did this, actually. I went to speak to the psychology lecturer 
I don't know why. I had no Kesha with anyone. I used to go there, learn in the back and go home. I didn't, I didn't learn Chabrus in the back and then go home. I, I didn't take it, I wasn't into it. I was a bit flipped out. And uh, the psychology teacher said to me the following. You know, one of these long-haired, you know. And he, he said, he said, Dave, Dave, Dave. What you're doing is cool. It's good. It's cool. Then he said, but remember one thing. It was such a good piece of advice. He says, you know, when you give something up once, it's so much easier to give things up again. Human nature is to see things through. If you get used to giving things up, it can ruin your life. I have to tell you that it's one of the most important things that anyone ever said to me. Because from then on, whenever I, I was about to throw the towel in, I don't see his image because I don't remember what he looks like. He had long hair, but, but I, that's, all, that's all I remember. But, but, but I remember he, I, so clearly, and every time in my life when I wanted to throw in the towel, I said, enough, whatever, I have those, those words ringing. So the Amkashi Orif is a facet that Amisra has, but as individuals, is something we need to acquire, a determination to see things through. To not just, if it doesn't work straight away, that's how you learn Gomorrah, right? Those, those first years of learning Gomorrah when I was sitting there with a dictionary opening and closing and opening and closing, and when am I ever going to know how to do this? And if you persist, if you persevere, you know how to do it. I sometimes stop, I shouldn't do this, right? But I sometimes stop in the middle of my learning and I remember where I was at the age of 16, 17. I couldn't translate anything. I couldn't do anything at all. I've told you before, far worse than anyone in this room. But, but if you're determined to do something, there is very little that a human being cannot do if you make up your mind to do it. So this Amkashi Orif, it begins as being a critique but it can be a guide to our lives, a discipline, a determination, a stamina to see things through from beginning to the end.